Shine 1049, joining the Spokane Seventh-day Adventist Church Worship Service. We hope you're blessed by today's message. This weekend, with special guest Bruce Marciano, who acted in the role of Jesus in the Matthew film. I've been very privileged. Ever since I was a little kid, I was 13 years old, and I was on stage for the first time, and I knew I wanted to be an actor. (laughs) My parents did their best to talk me out of it. Over many, many years, they almost did at one point. I took a long, circuitous route. I entered college as a performing arts major. I ended up with a degree in economics. Very few people know this. I went on to law school. I got my uh, doctorate in law. actually practiced law for two years. Hated it. (laughs) I think the worst part of it was having this tie around my neck all day. I was just like, get this tie off of me. I just hated it. And after that long, circuitous route... I, I, I just went back to my first love and, uh, and set out on a career path. It's interesting. You start out on a career like that, and you have certain things in mind that are success. You know? And no matter your profession, they're all the same thing. A lot of money, the respect of my peers, <laughs> you know, remarkable financial security. We, we all have the, the same kind of basic objectives. But then there comes a day when the Lord says, I got different plans for you, kid. I got very different plans for you. Let me pray, and then I'll tell that aspect of the story. Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you for precious, precious people who, with all the things that someone can do in uh, Post Falls, Idaho today, they, they choose, they make an active choice to spend time with you. And that's, that's a remarkable decision, Lord God. I think we overlook how remarkable a choice that is. It's extraordinary. And so I thank you for this group of extraordinary people who, who love you, who want to worship you, who want to get to know you better, Lord. And Jesus, I think of your own words. You say, seek and you will find. Ask. Lord Jesus, it's all in our seeking that you are found. And so I ask you, as we have gathered today to seek you, that you would indeed, Lord, be found. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. One more quick example of, if I can put it, I don't like to use that word, the power of of the arts, because the, there's only one power. I'm, I'm always struggling to find a better word. You know, the effectiveness, the impact potential of the arts. Um, and I'll just dramatize it for you a little bit. It's like I can tell you, I can stand here and I can open my Bible and I can tell you, Jesus was filled with compassion. Jesus was a man who had great compassion for those who are sick and stopped and healed them. It's like, okay, great, I get that. Or I can do this. 2,000 years ago, the Son of the living God is coming down from the Sermon on the Mount, and you can imagine the exhaustion, you can imagine the fatigue. As a man, he chose to take no advantages over any one of us in this room, so he would feel the hunger in his belly and the heat of the sun or the cold or whatever it was that day, no differently than you and I. And the pressure of the crowds, thousands of people just pressing in and wanting and wanting and wanting. One of the things we we overlook about Jesus and his walk 2,000 years ago is that there was no escape for him. It wasn't like today he could go disappear in his office and tell his secretary, please, you know, I'm not taking any calls for an hour. He's out there. He's out there. He's sleeping (laughs) among the people. He's having dinner with the people. There's no escape. And it's just this constant pressure of people wanting. And you can imagine the human exhaustion with that. And he's coming down from the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, he, and he hears this voice, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he turns, and there's this guy whose body is racked with leprosy. 
And you and I in our world, we can't imagine what that looks like. But it's just this uh, disease that just the manifestation is, is bone turning to chalk and, and open lesions and horrific sores and just disfiguration and nose turning to wax. And it, it's just like it's such a remarkably ugly thing. And the smell that goes with it. 2,000 years ago, if you had this disease, they wouldn't even let you live in town. They made you go live in the bushes. They didn't want to see you. They didn't want to hear you. They didn't want to know you existed. Just go away and die. So when Jesus turns around, that's who he sees that day. This, this filthy, filthy, most rejected guy on the planet. And you can imagine that day, everybody's running away, pulling their children away. But the son of the living God, what does he do? He stops. Stops everything that he's doing. And he gets right down in the dirt with that guy. And as we did it in the film Matthew, he pulls the the rags away from his face off the sores of his face and you can imagine the shame of this guy he knows his ugliness he knows his smell and he turns away and the son of the living god maybe a hand under the chin just lifts his face right in the eyes and he says these remarkable words i am willing be clean <laughs> and <laughs> you know, you can only imagine that moment. He's, you know, there's this wreck of a body and just, you know, and, and the power of God, the life force of just rifles into this guy's physicality. And can you imagine he's, you know, he's like this and just, you know, and suddenly his, his body's bones are healing themselves. And, and you can imagine that moment, the drama, the wow, the wonder. of the living God entering in force into human brokenness and setting that guy right according to his fullest hope and purposes. Jesus. 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 There's telling that story and then there's doing that <laughs> to, to get it across. There is great opportunity in the world of art, song, in the world of drama, in the world of, you name it, poetry, painting. How many remarkable paintings through the years have lasted generations upon generations? I've seen it. It's beautiful. It's stunning. And so it's no stranger, <laughs> you know, the, the pursuit of art in terms of conveying the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is no stranger to us. We've enjoyed it. We've experienced it. Sometimes, unfortunately, we set it aside. If I can put it this way, this might be a little daring. Sometimes it's, you know, the intellectual thing is really important and it's really good. But it's also easier. I can sit there and not be personally affected. I can sit there and not have my heart impacted and walk away with good head knowledge and I can't remember exactly where the scripture is, where, uh, where it says, knowledge puffs up. You know, we love to know. We love the intellectual knowing. But these things of the living God, these things of the manifest presence of God and the spirit of God, they're things of the heart. And the heart is so accessed through these artistic endeavors. If I can oversimplify 2,000 years ago, 
there were there were two types of people that reacted to Jesus. One was guys that were all here. I mean, these guys, they're dressing the right way. They're, you know, they're studying the Torah. They're living the Torah. They're, there's not, uh, everything is in perfect order according to the Torah. And, and all they're doing all day long is, is challenging Jesus intellectually. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's like they're throwing rules at him. I mean, here, this, this guy was a wreck, and Jesus healed him, and they can't get past their intellectual stuff to recognize the wonder of, of what he did, you know? You know, who, what, I can't remember the exact phrase about the coin, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Intellectual stuff. And on the other side, there were people like that leper, People who all they knew is that this guy is incredible. <laughs> they didn't know why. They couldn't explain it. You know, they stand back and they go, this guy teaches with authority, not like our teachers of the law. Well, the teachers of the law were teaching from here. Jesus was teaching from here. He lived it. He was it. He, he was it. He was the word. Alive. Jesus. So, so this heart thing, <laughs> that artistic avenues tend to open up, is, is so vital, so important. And at the same time, we have to be very cautious because it can take a guy this way or that way. We have no idea how many millions upon millions upon millions of lives throughout history have been wrecked by perverted art. I mean, it is really something to stand back and watch pop stars living the dream and everything, and, I, uh, and, and you just, it's, it's almost like you can see millions of kids walking off a cliff because of this guy's music. Making decisions based on the impact potential of what they hear in this music or movies or whatever. The flip side of that is, is, is this. With kids making decisions for him based on what they experience in this room. It's interesting. I, I'm no expert on young people, but, but I have a funny feeling. It's, <laughs> you know, like I can say, well, Jesus, blah, 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 and he'll just go, oh, okay, great. But then he'll stand in the room and he'll hear this, like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> you know, what more do I, do I want a kid to understand other than what goes on in this room is very cool? You know, if, if he can walk away with that through the expression of the music or other arts, hey, I'm a happy dad, man. <laughs> I'm a happy, happy dad. Um, very quickly, my, uh, my journey to where I am today um, I mentioned that I started out as an actor, took this long route, and actually came back to it. Um, uh, I struggled as an actor for probably 10, maybe even 15 years. I mean, I'm talking about $5 in my pocket. You know, the stuff that you see on Entertainment Tonight and blah, 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 and da, 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 it's all marketing. Nobody seems to get this. It's not reality. It's, it's marketing. It's, it's, it's these TV shows and the publicists that represent celebrities and stuff like that. It's multiplied millions of dollars being poured into keeping you tuned in. It's not reality. For every George Clooney, there's a million guys that can't find one job, that are just as good 
and just as attractive and just as everything else. It is one incredibly harsh business. Almost every time I'm speaking, someone will come up to me and they'll say, you know, my little Johnny, you know, he's in the high school play and everybody thinks he's great and I think he's got potential and da, da, da. You know, what's your advice? <laughs> I'm always between a rock and a hard spot. Do I tell this precious dad or mom what he or she wants to hear or do I tell him the truth? And uh, I never win, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but if I'm telling the truth, I'll tell do everything you can to keep Johnny home. That would be my best advice, because at the end of the day, to pursue the career that I've been blessed to enjoy, it's, I mean, the streets of Hollywood are paved with broken hearts. You know, if you walk into any diner in Hollywood, it's the saddest thing in the world. You will see middle-aged women waiting tables. And if you look hard at them, you can see, oh, wow, they, they were... They, you know, they're, they're still pretty, but they were really pretty when they were 20. Walk into any diner in Hollywood and you'll see them. In other words, they came to that town at 20 years old with big dreams. Everybody in their local town told them they were the prettiest and the best, and they could sing and they could this and that. And they got in their car, they did that thing to pursue their dreams, they packed up their car, and they drove to Hollywood with the little dog or the little cat or something, and they got some funny little apartment, and to make ends meet, they went and got this job serving tables at a diner. And that day turned into 20 years. And I'm not exaggerating. It's the most heartbreaking profession. Fame is an addiction. It's a very, very bizarre and terrible thing. I, I, I can't explain how many times I've seen that look in people's eyes that, you know, I, I want to do this. And you, you just can see it's, it's an addiction. It's an addiction to something, an addiction to attention or something like that. Okay. Um, that having been said, I started my career, uh, I think, in 1982. And I struggled. It wasn't until 1984 that I got my very first job. It was one line on a show called Murder, She Wrote. And, uh, and I remember I thought I'd hit the big time, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but then I went right back to unemployment. And you're just pounding the streets all day long, trying to meet casting directors, trying to meet people, trying to get in. I came close to some really big opportunities. I remember screen testing. Uh, I mean, this is as ungodly as it gets for a movie called Mobsters. Some of you will remember it with Charlie Shane and Kiefer Sutherland. And I remember screen testing for it. And that means you're at the final round. You've made it to the final round. I mean, it was a huge opportunity. Uh, I remember uh, screen testing for an Al Pacino movie. Um, and uh, in other words, I was, I was, I was swinging the bat. And there's this saying, as long as you're swinging, you're dangerous. It's just a matter of time before you start hitting. Um, but, uh, you know, to cut to the chase, um, as quickly as, as, as things started popping in the late 80s, things just kind of fell apart. Uh, there was a writer's guild strike. And all film production shut down. And the strike went on for months and months. And that's where... Reality shows were birthed. That's how reality shows came into being. The Writers Guild went on strike. And so there was no one to write new TV shows. So somebody came up with this idea, well, let's just film real people doing odd and weird things. And it hit. Voyeurism. Voyeurism. And it completely rewrote television. But what it did for us actors is it put us all out of business. So I found myself struggling uh, dramatically. And again, without going into the details, in the pit of that experience, um, I cried out to Jesus. It became very, very apparent to me that, uh, that, that I had built my life on 
on dreams and fantasies that could be yanked away from me just like that. The Bible calls it weak and shifting sand. And I remember I got down on my knees in the dirt in a park one day, and I said, Jesus, you got to save me. And uh, the word of God is very clear that in a moment like that, (laughs) he comes like a rocket. It's like, okay, kid, I've been waiting for you for 25 years. And uh, and the next thing I knew, uh, you know, if I could put it in a fun way, he grabbed me by the collar, and it was off to the races. Um, That was in 1989. When I was a lot younger, with the darker hair and everything, my uh, father's Italian, my mother is Syrian, and I kind of got typecast in dark roles, those kinds of Al Pacino, kind of shifty guy kind of roles and stuff like that. I looked a lot more ethnic when I was in my 20s, um, and I remember, you know, I came to the Lord, and, and, and shortly after that, in my prayer life, the Lord just began to speak to me about this. And I'm telling just the five-cent version of a very long story. And, and I remember telling a friend over uh, lunch once, you know, I, I think the Lord wants me to start playing nice guys. <laughs> and it was that very week that uh, my phone rang. And it was a guy who had taken me on a missionary trip to Australia. If I can back up into that. I was sitting in church, probably 1991, and, and this guy gets up there and he says, you know, I'm looking for actors to go on a missionary trip to Australia. Now, I'm, I'm a professional actor, and I'm thinking, <laughs> what, am I going to go do kitty plays about Jesus on high school stages? <laughs> no, thank you, man. It's not my idea of a good time. And, and I can remember sitting there thinking that, and it was like the Lord just zinged me. <laughs> And, and I, I knew he convicted me. He wanted me to go on that trip. And again, without going into the details, I struggled and I fought him. I, sometimes I'd be praying and, and it was like he was standing over me looking at me like this. And I would just stop in the middle of my prayer and say, I don't want to go. I'm not going to go. And I fought and I fought and I fought and I fought. And eventually I caved in. And that's a whole story, too, that I don't want to take the time to tell. Um, But it was like the Lord just had my arm twisted behind my back. Well, in fact, I'll tell you the story. (laughs) I heard through the grapevine that they didn't need any more actors, that the team was complete. And so I thought, okay, now I'll obey. I'm being very honest here. And I called that guy. His name is Jerry. And I said, hi, Jerry. And you know, you put the little Christian-y terms. You know, know, the Lord has really placed it on my heart uh, that I should offer my services to you to go to this. And I remember there was silence on the other end of the phone. And he said, you know, Bruce, he said, just an hour ago, One of the members of our team called and quit. And I've been praying for the last hour, asking the Lord to send me someone to complete the team. And it was like, ah! You know? So the next thing I knew, I was in Australia doing kiddie plays about Jesus. (laughs) Traveling, and, and I just, to be honest with you, I hated it. I felt so embarrassed. I had been a prof- I'm a professional actor, you know? And I just felt so embarrassed. But every time we'd complete one of these skits, and they were just funny little skits, every time we'd complete those, one of those skits, and the guy would get up to wrap things up, you could hear people holding back tears, You could see kids in the audience with their eyes this big. And here's the funny thing, again, making the point about the impact potential of the arts. These kids had heard it a million times. They'd heard it. They'd seen the guy with the tie standing here with the podium telling them blah, blah, blah. They'd heard it a billion times, and they couldn't care less. But to see it, the gospel, dramatized. 
I remember we did one little play. It was so silly. Um, this one guy was dressed up as Jesus, and he looked so goofy. He's wearing sheets and everything. And here's the irony. They had asked me to do that. And I said, no way, man. No way. No way. I'm not going to do it. So they chose another guy, and they put the sheet on him and everything. <laughs> and he's standing there, and there were three actors on this side and three actors on that side. And each one of them represented somebody who had been through some tragedy in life. And they were yelling their complaints at Jesus. Where were you when my father did this and that to me? Where were you when my child was dying of cancer? And, it, it, and that was the whole play. It was a little short skit. Jesus didn't say anything through the whole thing um, until the very end. All he did was he lifted up his arms and you could see the scars in his hands. People would weep. People would weep and fall on their faces before Jesus. The impact potential of a guy standing in a sheet. And this little drama playing out. We would do that night after night. And, and I would see people's lives touched night after night. I hated it, but for those moments. And I remember I came back from that trip, and having been away on that trip for six weeks, it was like I had to rescue my career. I remember I went to my agent, and my agent fired me. She said, you know, Bruce, <laughs> you're going away on these Christian missionary trips for six weeks. I, I can't work with that. And she let me go. And in that town, an actor without an agent, you know, you may as well be in the middle of the ocean <laughs> without a paddle. And, uh, and my life plunged into 15 months of even more remarkable starving. I mean, I'm not exaggerating to say I had five bucks in my pocket. Uh, I'm looking at the clock. Can I tell this story? It's such a funny story. I had this German shepherd, you know, he and I, he's my buddy, man. And daily I'm making choices. Do I feed myself or do I feed the dog? And I'm not exaggerating at all. And uh, I lived in this little one-room converted garage and just clinging to my faith, you know, and just clinging to my faith. It's like, oh, so this is what I get for going on a missions trip. And I remember I had a neighbor who took pity on me. And uh, she said, why don't you come over for lasagna? Well, that sounds great. So, uh, you know, I, I went over for dinner, and then she sent me home with a big piece of lasagna that I could eat the next day. And I mean, oh, wow, I was looking forward to that. And I went out, and I had this little bread and butter job delivering things around town, and that's a whole other story. And, you know, you're getting up. You've got nothing to eat all day long. You're going through the whole day. you got nothing to eat. And, you know, you go to the gas station, and you go, $2, please, on number six. I mean, it's, it's that rudimentary. And, and I remember that day, just that lasagna, the, the knowledge of it sitting in my refrigerator was the only thing that got me through the day. And I came home, and I pulled that baby out, and I stuck it in the microwave, bing, 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 you know, and as Steve's coming off of it, I can't wait to sink my teeth into it. And, uh, um, and, I, and I sat down on my sofa to eat it, and it was just this little uh, sofa that converted into a bed, and there was no table in front of it. And I was just about to eat it, and the phone rang. And I thought, do I answer the phone? And she's like, yeah, I'll answer the phone. My dog was highly trained. <laughs> He's a great dog. But I had trained him. Like, uh, you know, I would eat. He would never beg or anything. But I would eat. And if, if, I was gonna, if there was anything left over, I would put it on the floor. And then he'd come and he'd eat it. You know what I did. I just look at it, I'll answer the phone. And I put that lasagna on the floor. And I went and I go, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of having dinner. Okay, I'll call you back. I turned around, gone. 
100% gone. That lasagna was gone. I was like, ah, you know, I was ready to kill that dog. And then I realized I had trained him to do that. Life was tough. Life was tough. Now here's the punchline. After 15 months of that, my phone rang. And it was Jerry, the leader of that Australian missions trip. And he said, hey, Bruce. He said, I just got a letter. That was pre-email. I just got a letter from this director. He's making a new Jesus movie. And he's looking for an actor who has a living relationship with Jesus. He's looking for an actor who's more authentic than the traditional British Shakespearean actor. And uh, I think you ought to give this guy a call. In other words, if I didn't go on that missions trip, this is a big thing I'm saying. This is a big, big thing I'm saying. If I stuck to my guns and disobeyed the Lord, if I didn't go on that missions trip, I would never have enjoyed that experience. I would never have enjoyed the outflow of wonders that have followed as a result of it. I met my wife as a result of that experience. I'm standing here today as a result of that experience. I've traveled the world. I've (laughs) had lunch with Nobel Peace Prize winners, all because of that experience. I mean, I can't explain to you the wonders. All because of that Australian missions trip. And needless to say, this film to this day, we did it 20 years ago, And I mentioned to someone last night, there's not a day that goes by that I don't get an email across my website from some corner of the world saying, uh, I saw this movie and my life has changed. My life has changed. The impact potential of things that express heart, music, these things, Poetry, the Psalms. Whenever I run into somebody who's going through a really hard time or something, I tell them, read the Psalms and you'll see yourself. You'll see yourself. Oh Lord, how many tears have I cried? You'll see yourself. The arts, it's all about heart. And to pull them into the realm of a vehicle to express the wonder of God and the joy of his presence. I just can't overstate that value. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for a precious time. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your care. I thank you for your blessing on these sometimes silly stories, Lord God, that... uh, Who knows where anyone is at who hears my voice, Lord God. And I can see by people's faces that you have touched hearts. And I'm just very thankful for that, Lord God. That you meet us all right where we're at. You bless your people today. Bless the rest of the day and the next service and the kids that come in the afternoon. We just lay ourselves at your feet, Lord, in thanksgiving. We declare we love you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Now, we've been having great fun. Last night, uh, I arrived from L.A. in the nick of time for the service, and we had a, just a wonderful time. And Such a wonderful time. I have this, this habit. I've been doing this for many years. And you have such a wonderful time, you can't go to sleep at night. And, but you need your sleep because you know you have a long day the next day, but it always somehow works out. This morning I looked at the, uh, the bowls around my eyes and I thought, wow, you know. But by the grace of God, we're going to do it and we're going to do it well. If I may, before I kind of begin, I just want to say something. I've mentioned this to pastor about the quality of worship in this place. I travel around and I do this a lot. And I've kind of seen it all. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've, I've seen it all. And, and immediately last night and just now, I was just so struck by the quality of, of worship in this place. 
if I can be a little bit bold, and I know you don't know me and blah, 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 but I remember the first time that I was introduced to, to life-giving worship, if I can put it that way. I mean, there's singing and there's music, but then there's, there's worship that just ushers in what I'll call just the manifest presence of God. It just opens the door for his goodness to flow. It's interesting having played Jesus, and I'll get into this a little bit. You know, Jesus, you know, lines, he says, he says, I give you my peace. Peace not as this world gives. You know, he says, he calls it peace that surpasses understanding. In other words, peace that doesn't make human sense. It's like someone going through a remarkable, terrible problem, and yet they have a measure of peace and grace in the middle of it. It doesn't make human sense. You know, it's peace that surpasses understanding. You know, uh, and then I think of Jesus in the Last Supper. He says, uh, you know, my prayer for them, Father, is that they might have my joy in them. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I can't remember exactly. Another prayer he prays in the Last Supper is that they may be one as I am in you and you are in me. And you, you come up with this list of qualities, peace, joy. Another Jesus line, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest for your soul. It's like, wow. You know, I, I don't know about you, but you step, you know, how many times it's just like, ah, oh, just rest. Kind of makes my knees weak. Another quality that, that comes with the presence of him. Rest. Rest for your soul. And, and so you come into this house today, and, and it's very, very rare. I mentioned to the pastor, it's very, very rare. I mean, I've been in churches where the music is top quality, but no sense of the presence of God. It's very, very rare what's going on here. It's very rare. And there's this thing, um, and I just want to encourage everyone here, because I remember the first time I was introduced to, to that, that thing that ushers in all that goodness of God, the rest and the peace and the presence and all that stuff. I was a little intimidated you know, <laughs> uh, especially as a guy, it's like, you got to keep it together. You got to keep it cool. You know, don't show that anything's getting to you. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? I remember I was very, very intimidated and I really fought it. I fought joining in. I fought singing along. I fought raising my hands. I fought, I, I just fought it in my heart. And I would go back week after week and service after service and just have this struggle, you know? It's like I wanted to go there. My heart was yearning for what was going on there. But there was just something about me that was going to fight it, was going to fight it all the way. And, and then came the day that it was explained to me, you know, just the innumerable places in Scripture that just talk about uh, just the joy of the Lord's presence and lifting holy hands in worship. And, and it was explained to me, this isn't, this isn't a crazy thing. This is a scriptural thing. It's a scriptural thing to just embrace the worship of God and allow oneself to fall into it, to be fearless, free of self-consciousness, and just bask in the goodness of God. There's an opportunity here. <laughs> to just fall into the goodness of God. And I want to encourage us all, go for it, man. Go for it. Guys, if you feel that same struggle that I described inside you, it's like, you know, if you feel it, just fight past it. Fight past it. Because the Lord is trying to do a wonderful thing in your heart and a wonderful thing in this church community. And just encourage you to just dive headlong into worship. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, pray. Some of you folks were here last night. I'm uh, an actor by profession. For you who aren't familiar with me, I had the remarkable privilege of 
playing Jesus in the movie that was mentioned, the Gospel of Matthew. It was word for word. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So as an actor, I had to memorize literally every word that Jesus spoke in Matthew and, and walk through every moment of his life. And if you think about it, these Gospel moments, they're the most pivotal, most significant moments in universal history. <laughs> you know, uh, climaxing, obviously, in in that day hanging on the cross. So you think of that scripture that says the word of God is uh, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So you think about it studied, you think about it, and then you add on top of it memorized, and then you add on top of it, for lack of a better way to put it, walked through. And to make a long story short, and this is what I'll try to capture in the next 20 minutes or so, my life was radically (laughs) spun around. My mind was blown sky high with the wonder of Jesus, of Jesus. Let me pray. And then I'll start to get into some stories a little bit. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you. We thank you for all you've done already through the worship. We thank you for precious people who love you, who are seeking you. Lord, no one would be here today if they aren't seeking you. There's only one reason why someone would come here today, and that is because they want more of you. Maybe that's buried beneath this and that and the other. I don't know. But at the end of the day, people are here because they desire you. And Lord God, that's a desire that you love to honor. And so I ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do, is me, and, and that's meet everyone who hears my voice right where they're at, in that point of seeking, that point of, of just human need, the greatest need of us all, being more and more of you. I commit us all to your care for the revelation of your person in the most powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We shot that movie 20 years ago. Ever since its release here in this country and abroad, I've had invitations to do what I'm about to do now. And I always struggle. It always fails me because there's no way to capture the fullness of that experience. You know, it's an interesting thing. I mentioned last night that, uh, that Jesus is one of those characters that everyone just assumes they know everything about. I mean, you can... You can go up to anybody on the street. They may have never been in a church. They may have never opened this book. They may have never anything. And you ask them, who's Jesus? They'll tell you. There's this presumption, most especially among we who have been walking in Christian culture, maybe all of our lives. There's that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, complacency, and To make a long story short, uh, after a lifetime of sitting in church, after going to church schools all through uh, up until college, uh, and, you know, after all the hallelujahs and all the Bible stories, I knew all these stories backward and forth and on and on. It wasn't until I was asked to portray him that it hit me square between the eyes, that I didn't have the slightest idea who he really, really is. And that began a journey for me, because to play him effectively, that's what I needed to understand. I I knew that millions of people across the world were going to make judgments about him based on what I did in front of that camera. And I can't explain to you the, the depth of responsibility. I can't explain to you that weight. Uh, from the time I got uh, cast to the time I had to report on the set with a full beard and, <laughs> and all that get up and everything like that, I had seven weeks. And in those seven weeks, I had to do all the memorizing. I had to do all the studying. Interestingly enough, something I don't often mention about, I wanted to make a, a very physical presentation of Jesus. You know, we quite often see him as, as a very delicately built man and, you know, a little 
pink palms and rosy cheeks, a guy who looks like he's never done a day of work in his life. And, and the reality is so shockingly the opposite. Here's a guy who worked with his hands for 20 plus years of his life. So I wanted to make a very physical statement. And I remember the intense workout uh, regimen that accompanied my preparation. And, and, and that seven weeks, it felt like about seven seconds. But beyond all of that practical preparation, the one thing that I knew that was going to make it work, if it was going to work, was his spirit working through me. And I cannot tell you the desperation with which I got on my face and began to beg Jesus in prayer for Jesus. I'm going to say that again, because that's possibly as big a thing as I'll say the whole service. For the first time in all those church years, in all that, for the first time in my life, I realized with all of that, I knew nothing about him. And that what I needed more than anything else was him and more of him. And with only seven weeks, I cannot tell you how I got on my face in the carpet and for hours and hours, every day, begged and begged Jesus to reveal himself to me through his word, through his spirit, to pour himself into me. I mean, the objective of the whole thing is to become more like him, to be returned to the image and likeness that is his original intent. The fullness of who he is being exhibited through his children. Amen. That's his hope. That's my job as a Christian, to become more like him. To grow in the qualities that he exhibited as a man 2,000 years ago that he exhibits on the throne today. The qualities of, of mercy and goodness and care and compassion and love. And, 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 just, and I began this journey of begging Jesus for Jesus. And no picture of righteousness here. Uh, if not for the movie, I'm sure that I would just be one more guy sitting in the, <laughs> in the back row of the church, just kind of doing my time. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. No picture of mighty man of God here. I was so desperate for him because I knew without him alive inside me, I was going to completely fail. Amen. And we would pray we would get up in the morning. You know, the shooting day starts at, uh, at dawn, so you're up about 4.30 in the morning. We shot in Morocco and Southern Africa, and I remember uh, waking up in Morocco at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, stumbling into the director's hotel room, and we just sit there and we just pray and pray and pray. And then before the cameras rolled, before every scene, just praying and praying, before every shot, praying. I'll tell you some stories in a minute of uh, how the Lord honored some of those prayers. And just for the first time in my life, this is the biggest thing I'll say all morning, desperately seeking Jesus. Not for what he could do for me. Not for my human needs, which are all, he loves to take care of those things. But for what I, for the first time in my life, realized was my greatest need of all. Him and more of him. I remember my very first meeting with the director. For you who have seen the movie, I remember uh, he's a very excitable guy. And he said, he carries a little pocket Bible. And he pulled that thing out of his pocket and he, and he shook it at me. And he said, Bruce, he said, I have one word for you, joy. And he quoted Hebrews 1 verse 9, which quotes Psalm 45, 7, which is a messianic psalm. He was anointed with the oil of joy above everyone else. And I remember with his eyes this wide, he said, I, I've been praying about this and seeking God and blah, blah, blah. And he said, and I'm convinced that the Lord would have us present Jesus possibly for the first time ever on film as a man of joy and not this solemn, detached, ethereal image that we tend to get in art. 
You know, uh, he would he would jokingly call it the porcelain doll Jesus, you know, just a very tall, very elegant man in flowing white robes. And he's never quite real. He's always a little unreal. He's, he's never quite just standing there. He's always got kind of a pose, you know, and, you know, and his head's always a little tilted. And, you know, it just it just never quite looks real. But the reality 2,000 years ago is that the word became flesh. Last night I quoted Philippians 2, the reality. It says about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped for, but instead made himself nothing. Born in a barn. Born in a barn. You see, the danger is that the stories become so familiar to us, we miss the wow factor. This is the living God. He can choose to be born anywhere he wants. And he chooses a barn? A stable? Like, who would make that choice? You know, we love that. It's such a nice word. A manger. A manger is a feed trough. This is the living God in human manifestation. And he chooses for his very first bed, something that animals eat out of. So suddenly I start knocking the dust off these old stories. And and suddenly the wow begins to unravel before my eyes. Returning to the joy, when the director told me that, I really need jerked. Uh, I had been raised in a church where uh, <laughs> you could, I'm going to have some fun now. You could use the word joy in a song, but you sure had better not do it. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be excommunicated, you know? And it was like you'd sing the songs, the hymns, you know, the joy of the Lord is upon me. And you just go, oh, wow, man, you know? If that's what joy looks like, I'd hate to see sorrow, buddy. <laughs> and uh, and I had, been, I had grown up on that experience. And so when he talked about joy, it really jerked me. I didn't get it. And I could stand here all day and tell you how I arrived to that place. But uh, cutting to the chase, I remember my assistant at the time, uh, she had this little eight-year-old niece who just loved Jesus. And I'll never forget when she found out I was going to do this movie. She told my assistant this. She said, well, I sure hope he smiles a lot. (laughs) She said, because the Jesus in all those Jesus movies never smiles. And I know that Jesus smiles all the time. And I remember when my assistant told me that story on the heels of the directors uh, saying joy. It was one of those moments. It was like, whoa, you know, I never heard that before. And to make a long story short, I began to just unravel and unpack story after story. And it came to me clear as day, joy, joy, and more joy. I mean, the reality is, is, is Jesus is the kingdom of God alive. He's, he's, he's living joy. I mean, if that's a sorrowful place, why do we care? You know, it's, it's, it's joy off the scale. And he is, he is literally the personification of joyousness. Uh, beyond that, just in his practical life, and I'll have some fun with this. Imagine doing what he did all day long, every day. Imagine your job. <laughs> here's a blind guy. <laughs> Bing! His eyes are open. You know, here's a lame guy. <laughs> here's a dead guy. <laughs> I mean, is that a joyless task? <laughs> is that boring? Is that like, uh, oh, I had a hard day at work, hon. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine, you know, the experience of just walking in those wonders all day long? You know, 5,000 hungry people, 5,000 fish sandwiches. I mean, it's so off the scale. And suddenly you just see it everywhere. Joy, joy, and more joy. And the fascinating reality, I think, of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, I think, it says, it's talking about the crucifixion, and it says these astounding words, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Amen. It's like you mean even within that, 
which we look upon as the greatest horror in human history. Behind all the gore, behind all the horror, there was a smile. There was a smile. Yes. Ah, it's great fun, man. It's great fun. It's just so wonderful. It's just so wonderful. I remember uh, the one scene, the woman crawling on the ground. Uh, that's that story in the Bible about the woman with the issue of blood. And, uh, you know, I'm sure most, if not all of you, are familiar with that story. She's been bleeding from her womb physically for, I think it says, 11 years. And I remember uh, the actress who did such a good job there. You know, there was no direction given her. And this goes back to people assuming they know about him. There was no direction giving her, given her. The director just set up the scene, and he wanted to see what she would do. And sometimes you work that way. And, uh, and if she did it wrong, then he would correct her. And I remember he called action. When I turned around and looked at her, she looked up, and, and that look in her face was fear. I'll never forget, in the middle of shooting that scene, being so struck by the fact that she assumes Jesus is someone to be afraid of. She assumes he's someone heavy-handed. She assumes... And I remember in my research, in that seven weeks before I ever got around to doing that scene, the Lord led me to Psalm 139 as, as a kind of a handle with which to deal with everybody I encountered. And, and it's, I hand-formed you while you were yet in your mother's womb. In other words, that lady, it's, it's not just some lady who's sick. It's his baby. He hand-formed her while she was yet in her mother's womb. If you watch the whole film, all four hours of it, that's all I did through the entire film. I just did my best to handle everyone who was in front of me as if it's my very own son or daughter. No matter what they were doing, whether they were crawling in the dirt, whether they were cowering in fear, whether they were screaming at me, crucify him. That every one of them is my baby. And I remember I just turned to her. And can you imagine, Dad, your little girl being afraid of you? Can you imagine the heartbreak of that? Can you imagine how the length you would go to to make sure she got it right, <laughs> that you're not someone to be afraid of? And I remember just getting down in the dirt with her and doing what every great dad would do, just loving her, loving her, and loving her, and doing everything he can to take that pain away. The scene where the, the guy puts his hands all over Jesus' face— that guy and there was another guy next to him. They're the two blind beggars on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And I remember we're reenacting that scene. And the director told me, he said, you know, this guy, he's never seen anything in his life. So he opens his eyes and suddenly there's this flood of imagery. And he's going to do what comes natural. He's going to reach out uh, put, you know, to make sure it's real. Put hands all over your face. And I, I mentioned last night, I'm sure you could see on the screen how filthy this guy's hands were. He was an actual beggar in the streets of Morocco. He was just filthy, and the, the smell was remarkable and everything. And, and my American sensibility, I saw those hands, and I thought, oh, wow, I don't want those hands all over my face. It was like flying the Purell, you know? And, uh, but I was a little bit, uh, I didn't want to embarrass the guy, so I didn't say anything. And I remember literally just, you know, before the director called action, just gulp, you know? And, and we went through the scene. And here's where the story gets difficult to tell. I got down in the dirt with that guy. And, and just the smell and the horror and the dirt and, and the, the remarkable confrontation with with a life lived so horribly distant from the goodness of God. Amen. And I just broke. Um, 
he put the hands on my face and I took those hands and I did what you saw me do. It was an unscripted moment. I just kissed them. And I remember there's hundreds of people standing around and you, you just could hear a pin drop. And then the, when the director cut the scene, um, I just broke. I exploded in tears and I took the guy in my arms and I just started weeping and weeping. And um, in fact, there's a book that I wrote that a couple people brought to me in the earlier service and it's got a picture of the moment in it. If that book is in the, in the room, bring it up and I'll, I'll show you this book of me holding that guy, this picture of me holding that guy and just weeping and weeping. The heartbreak of Jesus over anyone who would, who would live even one moment of his or her life short of the fullness of all he desires for them. You know, I'm a dad. I got two kids. And every dad and mom is going to understand this moment. You know, when your kid is born, you stand over that crib and you look down at that kid, you know, especially a dad. And it's like you could carve your heart out and put it in the crib <laughs> next to the kid. And you start doing this thing. It's just, I got plans for you. You know, you're going to be this and you're going to be that. I'm never going to let any harm come to you. You got this, this outpouring that comes. Every dad in this room has had that moment. And I'm going to guess, I'm going I'm to hope every dad and every mom has had that moment. The little, the little baby has no idea what you're thinking or what. They're just, you know, but you're just like pouring your heart out. Amen. Take that experience and multiply it a billion, kabillion times. And you got Jesus standing on a street corner 2,000 years ago. Surrounded by his babies. And he comes and he gives himself out with one intent, with one intent to make sure that within the fold of relationship with him, they live every day of their lives in the fullness of the future and hope he desires for them, in the fullness of the hope of eternal life that only he can give. And you can imagine Jesus day after day just pouring himself out, teaching, healing, giving, giving. And every night going back to that campfire, and they just don't get it. In that video, we saw those two guys all dressed up. They're the religious leaders. And the fascinating thing is, is those guys are the guys who should have been the first to recognize Jesus. Because their whole life was about the soon coming Messiah. They spent all day, every day looking for him. He's standing right in front of them. They didn't get it. They should have been the first. But they missed it completely. And then on the other side of the fence, you got people like that blind beggar. Who doesn't know anything. All he knows is the wonder of Jesus in that moment. You could just imagine him. Uh, I'm, I'm writing a script for the Gospel of John. And there's, uh, there's the blind man that Jesus heals. And the Pharisees haul him in. And, um, and, and they go, uh, you know, uh, who is he? And the blind guy goes, I don't know who he is. All I know is I was blind and I can see. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's no intellectual nothing about it. All he knows is this guy is something special. Jesus. So for three years, give or take, Jesus is out there every day pouring himself out. And at the end of the day, when all of that doesn't work, he hangs on a piece of wood and literally pours himself out. And I mentioned last night that on the way back to the hotel, one of the guys on the crew, he said to me, you know, Bruce, I've walked with Jesus a long time, but I never got it until I saw that today, Jesus. Amen. You know, I could talk for a long time about that day. I'm not going to. <laughs> and um, I remember hanging there and hanging there and hanging there. And, and I would probably hang on that piece of wood for 10 hours over the course of a 14-hour, 13-hour workday. And I can't explain to you the, you know, you're just, you're just hanging there and, and you're just literally, I'm not exaggerating, begging God to get you through the next second. 
because every inch of you is, is screaming for freedom from this experience. And I'm just faking it. And I remember we were filming one shot where Jesus is very near death. And my job was to just, just stay very, very still. And, and I remember I'm hanging there and hanging there. And, and every inch of you is just screaming in pain. There's, there's stuff all over your face. People have been spitting on you, been kicked around all day. I, I can't explain it to you. And in the middle of it all, it's as if, if I could put it into words, it's as if the Lord whispered into my heart, I told you I loved you, kid. I told you I loved you. I love you so much, just the way you are, with all of your shortcomings and all your little this and all your little rebellions and all the mistakes you make and blah, blah, blah. I love you so much. Jesus. 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 Amen. I mentioned that I'm working on a film of the Gospel of John. And uh, I've been working on it a long time. And I'm going through a rewrite of the script right now. And uh, working on the crucifixion scene. The way I'm going to script it, Jesus, he's just, he's moments from death. And that moment where he says, it is finished. Uh, and you can only imagine just the, the brutality. Um, the movies that we see don't even come close. Scripture says that he was marred beyond recognition as a human being. In other words, they tore the face off of him. To look at him was to not even know he was human. Um, no movie has ever come close. Uh, and... And she, I mean, it's just off the scale. I just did a movie in January uh, where Jesus confronts this girl in the contemporary world. And she asks him, what was that like? And he says, imagine every horror in human history, every murder, every rape, every stolen pencil, every car crash, every lie, every deceit, every tear ever shed, the Holocaust, every baby's life lost in an abortion clinic. And he, and he just, he, he imagine it all coming down on you in a single moment of time. Amen. Literally paying the price for the wages of sin is death. But the way I'm scripting this new one, he's hanging there, he looks up, he says, it is finished. And then he looks down, he looks out over Jerusalem in the distance, his eye fills with tears. And then he looks right into the camera. In other words, he looks at you and me. And he smiles. He smiles. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's a smile that says, I love you. It's a smile that says, I did it because I knew the day would come. When every drop of my blood would open the door for us to live together in eternal relationship. It's a smile that says, I love you. I love you, Jesus. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I always walk away a little frustrated that I never quite get it right. But I trust that he makes up for my shortcomings. And the message is always the same. He's the living God. Amen. And he loves you. He loves you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's worship service from the Summit Northwest Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you'd like to learn more about today's message, contact us at 1049-KEEHFM. We hope you'll tune in again at the same time next Saturday. 